Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, has already outlasted almost all of his peers in terms of global leadership. He has led Russia in one way or another for two decades, uh, and he's not going anywhere. This week, uh, Russians went to the polls for a week-long vote. Um, Yes, uh, it was marred by many, many reported irregularities. But it does appear that they have now changed their constitution, allowing Vladimir Putin to serve two more six-year presidential terms after his current one expires in 2024. That would um, leave Putin in the Kremlin through 2036, surpassing Joseph Stalin's tenure as leader of the Soviet Union. He would become the longest-serving Russian leader since Peter the Great, uh, the Tsar, who uh, you might recall uh, led Russia to become the Russian Empire. Uh, That'd be back in the 1700s. This is a week in which we're talking about the 1700s, 1776 specifically. The Declaration of Independence at the top of the next hour. I'm actually going to read a portion of the Declaration of Independence. I would highly recommend you do that as a as an exercise of good stewardship, um, as a resident and or citizen of the United States of America, it's important that you know what this country is about, why it exists, why it was founded, how it came to be. And the Declaration of Independence is a really wonderful place to start uh, in terms of educating ourselves about not only who we were, but um, what was going on in the days in which we determined to be a people who would be self-governed. All right, Mount Rushmore uh, is my second headline. So from Russia to Mount Rushmore. The Mount Rushmore National Memorial in South Dakota, for those of you who are listening today in uh, in Sioux Falls, in the Sioux Empire, good morning. Wonder if any of you are headed out to Mount Rushmore uh, on this 4th of July weekend. I'd love to know that. If so, you could text me at 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Love to know if you're headed out there. Um, President Trump plans to attend the 4th of July event at the Mount Rushmore National Memorial. Uh, it would it's, it, it's planned to be the first fireworks at the site since 2010. Now that's obviously pending the weather. Um, there is a stand of Ponderosa Pines that obviously no one wants to light up with fireworks. So um, so I think the fireworks are still pending, but that's the plan. There are lots of media concerns. You'll see them. They're nearly hysterical. Media concerns being raised about plans for a gathering of 7,500 people outside at the Mount Rushmore National Memorial. Um, obviously, people wearing masks if they want to. Uh, it is one of the nation's most sparsely populated states, but the big headline, <laughs> the big headline 
in the New York Times is calling for the destruction of Mount Rushmore. That's something you might want to pay attention to. The New York Times tweeted this. This is it complimenting an article in the New York Times um, yeah, slamming Mount Rushmore. Uh, here's what they tweeted. Mount Rushmore was built on land that belonged to the Lakota tribe, sculpted by a man uh, who had bonds with the KKK uh, and features the faces of two U.S. presidents who were slaveholders. So when you read something like that, I know that you um, have a visceral reaction to it. So do I. So here would be the kind of response that you might want to lift up. The city of New York, the city of New York um, is is land that the Dutch took from native peoples. Dutch settlers actually named the lower part of the island New Amsterdam in 1624. Uh, The native people had a different name for it. Um, And then when the English seized the land in 1664, they renamed it again and they called it New York in honor of the Duke of York. And so the New York Times in New York is named after the Duke of York. And who was he? Well, he was the brother of King Charles II. And that's the guy, uh, uh, along with his brother. So these two guys, uh, James and Charles, King Charles II and his brother James, the Duke of York, they established what became known as the Royal African Company, the RAC, which, by the way, controlled all English business in the African slave trade. So if the New York Times really wants to right the wrongs of history, it might consider um, starting with its own name, its own heritage, its own building, the island upon which it's constructed, the city and the state, uh, which bear the name of the Duke of York. Um, And they might consider all of those with whom they have done business over the years, for whom they have provided a platform of advertising and advertorials, um, whose skirts are certainly not clean. So there you go. While we are in New York uh, New York is now dealing with something similar to what Seattle has dealt with. In Seattle, it was called the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. We're going to talk about the fact that the police have now cleaned that out. But, man, it is a wreck. It is a mess. Uh, in New York, there are now protesters uh, also who have formed a CHAZ. That is the City Hall Autonomous Zone. And the mayor has responded to those protesters by slashing the city's police budget by a billion dollars. Yes, billion with a B. All right, uh, we're going to talk with Ben Johnson about all kinds of headlines. He is the rights writer, and he's up next. This is my right. All right, that's the walk-up music for Ben Johnson, and there's probably no more uh, an appropriate week to be considering the rights given by God than this week, the week in which our forefathers declared uh, our independence. Ben Johnson, welcome back. And welcome back to you. Good to speak with you again. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to, it's good to talk with you. All right, I've been keeping an eye on what is going on in the city of Seattle. They have now uh, moved against the Chaz or the CHOP, the... Uh, the Autonomous Zone or the Occupied protest there in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. Um, why don't you just give us your, your perspective on where we are in that particular scenario? Yeah, Chaz got chopped overnight. Uh, the Seattle police moved back into the East Precinct, which uh, they had uh, abandoned a few weeks ago. 
And uh, as it turns out, according to uh, local news reports, it took about 35 minutes to move everyone out. So uh, there were protests overnight. There were some who refused to move along. But for the most part, uh, the mayor uh, said that um, the, uh, the organizers of CHOP and CHAZ agreed to move along. And uh, again, those who did not were moved out in about half an hour. So uh, it's interesting that this really picked up uh, a lot of steam and impetus after the mayor of Seattle, Jenny Durkin, had protesters show up at her house, and she said that they uh, vandalized her home. As you mentioned, the entire Chapchaw zone has just been uh, decimated. Uh, the, the F word is scrolled all over the place. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of damage that's been done. And, uh, and then, of course, there's just the idea that an entire section of the capital of the state can be uh, occupied and uh, quarantined as part of uh, an entirely different, supposedly uh, new area that is not subject to the uh, authorization or sovereignty of the government. So uh, that is a quite deleterious um, precedent that's been set. And we've seen that uh, now they're trying to uh, incorporate that in different places, including New York City. So in New York City, one of the things that that I noted in relationship to this is just the taunting that uh, police officers endure, um, the language being used by, you know, I, I don't know. It, we keep using the word protesters. We probably at some point need to find a better word. Um, but, you know, just screaming into the faces of black police officers that they're race traitors, that they're black Judases, um, they're mocking police officers as uh, as working class while they're uh, bragging about their own college educations. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow, if that's what a college education um, produces in in a person's life, um, you know, maybe college is overrated. Now, I mean, I I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but you you get my point here. Like the the public demonstration of the vulgarity and the and just the it's all it's it's not producing um, a vision of what the future of America might look like that any any of us would want to embrace. No, and it really shows the uh, the sort of elitism that is on display here, uh, the holier-than-thou or better-than-thou attitude that, uh, the pro- that the protesters have. As you say, you know, the, the irony here is that you've got these very well-off, college-educated uh, white kids screaming in the face of, uh, of working-class black people who are cops, uh, telling them that somehow they're structurally racist. And uh, you, you can only find it out if you've gone through college and have the sociological decoder ring to understand how that works. Uh, that, that kind of uh, demeaning attitude uh, has really marked the, uh, the Marxist movement for quite a while. Originally, Marxism was supposed to be the workers, uh, the workers' paradise, that the proletariat was supposed to rise up against the ruling class. And what uh, people found out was that the proletariat don't want to kill the, the uh, ruling class. They want to become the upper class, and they think that uh, capitalism and the American way is the way for them to work their way up the ladder by using their God-given talents and abilities, which is why we have such a churn of classes in this country. Uh, it truly is uh, an upwardly mobile society where anyone uh, from this country or born elsewhere can move up and rise through the ranks. Uh, one of the things that I think is positive that comes out of this is when you look at those police officers, particularly the black police officers who are being taunted in ways that are very hard for us to understand how demeaning that must be, the sort of resolution and calm that they show. Uh, first of all, I think that is truly the Holy Spirit shining in their lives. In some cases, they are literally witnessing to the people who are mocking them. But in other cases, they're standing there steadfastly, absolutely in the 
spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. taking everything that's hurled at them, that shows not only the power of the Holy Spirit for those who are Christian, but it also tells you how good the average police officer is and how much abuse they take instead of dishing it out the way that Chauvin did to George Floyd. All right. I want to um, pivot after the break and talk about um, God and pot, because um, this would be a story that we have not talked about in a fairly long period of time. But um, marijuana remains not only a legal gray area across the country, it is just really growing support among people of faith. And so uh, when Ben Johnson and I return from a very brief break, we're going to talk about God and pot. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find him at the Acton Institute. You can also find him on Twitter. He is the rights writer. Um, ben, let's talk about God and pot. It is uh, it is certainly growing um, across the country, not only in, in fields, but it is growing in popularity among people of faith. Tremendously, and particularly among young people who seem to think that it's uh, completely innocuous. Uh, there, there has been a great legalization movement, of course, across the country for some time. Uh, as you say, it's sort of a, a checkerboard around the country, depending on where you live. And then it's still illegal at the federal level. So it's truly a complicated situation. It's going to have to be resolved as time goes on. What we know, uh, regardless of what the law may say, is that everyone has to make a choice on their own. Even when it was illegal, it was readily available all over the place. And each of us as Christians have to decide what's the best stewardship of the bodies and the minds that God has given us. Uh, Psychiatry and uh, various other research shows that people who smoke marijuana are 40% more likely to die by the time they reach age 60. They're more likely to develop, uh, particularly young people, more likely to develop psychoses like schizophrenia. Uh, It is positively associated with emphysema and bronchitis. Uh, It ages the brain. Uh, The team of researchers in New Zealand found regular marijuana users lose six to eight points of their IQ. Uh, If you're like me, you can't spare one. So this is this is an issue of, of stewardship, and this is not good stewardship. And then if we become addicted, we're really seeding up our authority and our dominion as God's created and representatives here on earth in order to, uh, to serve the creation. Uh, the creation ends up being in a position of dominance over us when we become addicted. So we're giving up our God-given dominion over this and reversing the order of creation. Ben, I think that um, when we start talking about uh, this particular subject, um, you know, we have a lot of people who are listening right now who are using um, certainly CBD products and then many who are using um, marijuana uh, to relieve pain. And I think that when we talk about the way in which um, we use drugs, I mean, pharmaceutical drugs, over-the-counter drugs, street drugs. Um, I think that for a lot of people, we are in we are in a space where they feel like they have the liberty to choose what to do um, based on their own health concerns and their own set of ideas related to ethics. And and yet there are some things that are legal and some things that are illegal. Just remind us what the sort of the relationship between morality and legality is. 
Yes, according to Romans chapter 13, we are to obey the authorities that have been instituted because all authority ultimately flows from God. And that means to the extent that we can, we should try our very best to obey whatever the law on the books happens to be, provided that that law doesn't conflict with a higher law that has been given to us through the great law of liberty, as the book of James says, the, the law that has been given down, particularly in the two great commandments, to love God and love our neighbor. So as long as it's not sinful for us to obey the law, we should. Uh, it could be that I know perfectly well I can drive safely at 100 miles an hour, or certainly at 75, but uh, if the speed limit's 55, that means I drive 55. And uh, the same thing when it comes to these uh, marijuana laws. We may think that we know better, but uh, we should do our very best to obey whatever the law in our authority is. And by the way, a lot of the uh, – I'm always taken aback by the amount of disinformation or misinformation that surrounds uh, marijuana. And there have been studies uh, of people who desperately believe that, uh, for example, marijuana can cure cancer. Uh, there is no such evidence whatever. Uh, I have studied all of the marijuana studies. There is very spotty evidence that marijuana has any sort of curative powers. Uh, it can sometimes cure nausea or stuff like that, but there are many other uh, cures that can work that don't have any sort of legal ramifications uh, and that don't have uh, the other harmful pro uh, properties of marijuana that we discussed a little bit earlier. So obeying the law is the Christian duty, and uh, to the extent that we can, we can do so. And many times people who are breaking the law, and by breaking the law, uh, compromising their Christian witness, are doing so in order to follow a pipe dream where the research does not bear out the promise. All right. And then in, in a couple of minutes we have left, Ben, I, I want you to pivot and talk with us about um, the right way to go about seeing laws changed. Um, if I don't like a flag um, or the contents of a flag or if I don't like um, a monument, um, what, what's the right process that I should pursue versus some of the processes, processes that we see uh, in play today? And you're seeing it all over the country where Confederate statues are being toppled and sometimes Union statues are being toppled in the case of uh, General Grant and even Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator and others. But uh, if there is a statue to someone who is repugnant, and there are many uh, across the country, I think, first of all, we need to go back into the background of why this statue is here and why this particular person is being honored. Uh, but in addition to that, um, we, we need to look at the proper way of going about things, which is if this was instituted and it is public property, it is not okay for a private citizen to tear that down. Uh, that, that statue or that monument or that flag belongs to all the people and has to be removed in a lawful way. The scripture says the law is good if it's used lawfully, and so everything has to be done well and in order, and that includes in the civic government. So if there is something like the Mississippi state flag, which includes the Confederate battle flag on the flag itself, and it represents a state that has a very large African-American population, the governor, Tate Reeves, has signed a law through the democratic process repealing uh, that flag and authorizing a new design to go forward. That's the right way. It's gone through all of the democratic processes. If the people of Mississippi don't like that, they can vote them out and vote uh, for something else, or they can have a referendum on the matter like they did in 2001 and change the flag themselves. But that's the correct way of going through things. And when you do things democratically, as our founding fathers understood, you get social harmony, you get a buy-in that everyone agrees to abide by the rules 
and we all agree to be bound by the majority rule, that's what America is all about, trying to come to social harmony and to move forward progressively together. Uh, so respecting God-given laws and respecting the process of the law. Ben Johnson, thank you so much. Those are um, excellent reminders. We look forward every week to our conversation with you. You guys can find Ben at the Acton Institute. You can also find him on Twitter. He is the rights writer. We'll be right back. All right. So how are you praying for the nation? Are you still engaged in prayer? We're, uh, we are commanded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and so how are you praying for the kingdoms of this world today, particularly the kingdom of which we are a part, that one called the United States of America? Kathy Branzell heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force, which calls us to prayer day in and day out for this nation and the people of it. And she's with me next here on Mornings with Carmen. I met a girl once who was perfect on the outside, but was spinning out of control on the inside. Her mom called her condition quiet rebellion. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most people think a rebellious teen is one who's wild and crazy, self-centered and disrespectful. Well, Laura wasn't any of that. She was calm and polite on the outside, but angry and defiant on the inside. When Laura had to deal with the junk going on inside, we found that her quiet rebellion was a direct result of the family pressure to appear perfect. I hope Laura's behavior convinces you of one thing. No one is perfect, and forcing kids to aim for a flawless life can damage their spirit, and it's never worth the risk. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We're going to talk about prayer. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So, you know, I often ask listeners uh, where in the Word they are before they walk their faith out into the world that God so loves. Um, But it also Mm. occurs to me that I should be asking, um, you know, have we prayed yet? Did Did we rise to prayer? Did we bow in prayer before we, you know, rose to the concerns of the day. So let's just lead off with the um, why we need prayer, why we actually as people need prayer. And then let's pivot to, you know, how how we might be praying during this Fourth of July week and weekend. Mm, that's good. So we need prayer for lots of reasons. If Jesus needed prayer, if the mm. Son of God... <laughs> needed prayer, needed to go talk to the Father, then how much more do we need to? And so I think about how, um, first of all, we need hope. And and the only way that we have hope is to put our faith and trust in God. And you don't put your faith and trust in someone or something that that you don't know. Um, it, it, here on earth, we say we, you know, groups move at the speed of trust. And how do you build up trust? Well, you get to know each other. 
And we can do that in God's Word, and we do that in prayer. When we read God's attributes, His unchanging attributes, because we have such a changing world, like every five minutes right now, right? But God is unchanging, and His Word is unchanging. You don't have to wake up in the morning and go, hmm, I wonder what kind of mood He's in. I wonder what changed last night. So that we need prayer so we get to know God. And secondly, so we have hope. Because when you understand an all-powerful, all-loving creator, sustainer, redeemer, it goes on and on, then you have hope. Um, It's not up to you. And then secondly, so we can incline our ear and hear from him some direction for the day because between COVID and prejudice and injustice and the stock market and everything else going on in our world, we can actually make things worse if we run out on our own and our own understandings. I'm making notes um, because I, I value not only your perspective, but your wisdom and the grace uh, with which you share it. Um, Kathy, when you consider the concerns of the days in which we live, when you consider, you know, COVID uh, not only here, but around the world, when you consider the concerns of Uh, people in Hong Kong, when you consider the concerns of the Uyghur population in China, when you consider the concerns of um, millions of people across North Africa, um, you know, where a a new wave of locusts is about to uh, be hatched and swarm uh, upon them. And then when, yes, you consider the unrest in our own country um, related to racialized, a a racist history and racialized violence today. um, Yes. How are you praying for us this July 4th? Oh, um, so many ways. But right now that this came from the strangest verses. Okay. If somebody said, oh, what's your life first? Nobody probably would go to Nehemiah 3. But God took me to Nehemiah 3, which is where it starts talking about them rebuilding the wall. And it says, uh, it goes through a list of names and what that person did, a, a perfumer and a forger and a, all these different people. And it says, and next to him was, and it gives a name, and next to him was, and next to him was. And, and so I'm praying for a next to one another, a united um, coming at this with the love and strength and giftings that God's given us because we were each uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made for such a time as this, for such a mission as this, that the only way that um, that we're going to rebuild across this world, because we've been praying God's glory across the earth, not just across my state, my nation, but across the world. And the only way is if we've got shoulder to shoulder doing all that we can do, all we've been gifted to do, all the resources that we have, shoulder to shoulder, and I can name the person to my left, and I can name the person to my right, that there is true friendship, true fellowship, and true serving one another and with one another. And in that way, we will overcome to the glory and only in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we, um, I wrote down uh, united and coming together um, and next to him was. Mm -hmm. 
what you're talking about is not just proximity. There's lots of us, you know, like running into each other today and particularly smashing up against one another in social media and those kinds of environments. Um, But there's also this like, you know, weird social distancing reality where we don't even get to really spend time in the company of other people right now. There's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of growing despair related to that isolation. Um, Talk with me about how we pray for connectedness and reconnectedness in the midst of a time when we're this so such a strange time of social isolation. Well, I would ask in every situation, you say, what am I doing to steward what I've been given? Because mm-hmm. I actually heard somebody say on a on a Zoom call the other day, oh, the world just seems to be falling apart. And before that word apart even came off his lips, I heard God say, yes, but my plan is coming together. And so how am I stewarding this crazy time where I'm used to only being home maybe three days a month? And now I have been in my house since March. Um, and it, the, the answer is I'm using it to spend more time with God, uh, able to get more things done in ministry by not flying to and fro. But I've reconnected with people all over the U.S. because, you know, we were a military family that that I haven't seen in years. Just to say, um, how are you holding up? You know, that that's the that is the. Uh, is a, a question the crisis the crisis question when you go in as a as a chaplain as a rapid response chaplain or anywhere as a first responder that how are you holding up how can i pray for you and my prayer time for people by name and by need has just been exponential um, because that's how i want to steward this time instead of hopelessness or maybe binge watching something even something worthwhile and um, not to talk too long, but I have been on the phones and on Zoom calls and watching podcasts and reading books for the last four weeks to educate myself to just, I've been on this learning um, tour in my home um, about our past and present problem of injustice and our need for racial reconstruction. And so what can I learn? And then I've been praying into that constantly. Kathy, why don't you and I take a very brief break, and when we come back, um, I want to uh, I want to lift up just some really practical um, some practical ways that people could pray on this Fourth of July. You and I have uh, read some similar material on this, and so uh, we're just going to go through some very practical ideas for each and every one of us uh, this Fourth of July week, this Fourth of July weekend, um, as we come before the Lord and. As in the days of Nehemiah, we recognize that there is brokenness and there is despair, and we are going to have to come together alongside one another um, and pray and, yes, work um, for a rebuilding. So continuing my conversation after the break with Kathy Branzell uh, with the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell, who heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can follow her on Twitter at PrayCat. Cat is uh, K-A-T, not any other kind of cat. Um, Let's talk about, (laughs) in fact, decidedly no other kind of cat. Anyway, um, 
Let's talk about some really specific ways for people to pray uh, on this 4th of July. Yeah, so um, the first prayer that I um, would recommend that we spend a lot of time in in every situation is first, God, search me. Holy Spirit, just search throughout me and show me where I'm fearful. Show me where I've sinned. Show me show me anything that isn't of you that isn't helpful to me and and um, my service to you and remove it from me. And then when it's revealed to you, confess it and ask forgiveness. And then you always, once you sweep the place clean, you have to fill it. And so pray God's word. Um, uh, social this and social that is a moving target. Culture is a moving target. That's not what we fill ourselves with. You want to fill yourself with the unchanging word of God and start praying God's word. Read his promises and say, Lord, I cling to those. Lord, I claim those as truth. What you have said in heaven will be done on earth. And then you volunteer because we're all called to serve him. And you say, Lord, please show me. Give me at least one opportunity today to show your love, to live out this scripture, to share the message of Jesus Christ in my life. Um, You know, so we can take this time and where maybe the church has become a place uh, where the outsiders believe that we're nothing but haters and hypocrites, that we start living out the love of Jesus Christ and prove them wrong. And, and, and have them draw near because we have to remember that those that are rebelling, those that are doing things um, that are scaring or upsetting to us, don't know Jesus. And until they know him, nothing will change. And so start praying then for others as, um, as you've asked for, for chances to show and share the love. And you can do that on a Zoom call. Um, You can do that on a phone call. You don't have to leave your house right now if it's not safe and put yourself at risk. You know, this will be controversial, but I would say wearing a mask to the grocery store shows love. Because what I'm saying to you is if I have COVID, I don't want to give it to you. I know people that, you know, it's funny how a medical mask can be so controversial right now. But putting others before yourself instead of living a, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, where I want lifestyle. We are following scripture that says, honor the interest of others above yourself. And, and then um, just love, just love. You have to stop and ask yourself and pray, Lord, show me when I don't have a, a fruit of the spirit attitude. Show me when I'm living out rotten fruit instead of Holy Spirit fruit. And, um, and then every night and every moment that you can give thanks and live a grateful life. This 4th of July, we are blessed to live in America. Not perfect, but being perfected. And I've traveled all over the world, and there's no place like home. And so we need to give thanks and live in gratefulness, even in these hard and challenging days that we live in America. And pray those songs, those patriotic songs that declare that we're, um, you know, a nation of God and we're praying God bless America and our Pledge of Allegiance says that we're one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Turn that into a prayer um, and just celebrate this season for Fourth of July and beyond. I think that the uh, the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, makes 
at least four references, express references to the reality of a creator God who is, you know, provider and judge. And um, I think that and the giver of uh, the grantor of uh, inalienable rights, like God is the one who gives all of that and creates us in that way. Um, I think that there are so many places, uh, the the songs that are um, celebratory, not only of the nation, but of the God uh, who who is very present and and ready, stands ready to yeah. help us live into the aspirational words. Right. Because they're just they're just words unless we um, bring them to life. And I do think, Kathy, that right now when people look at those words, um, there's so much criticism hurled, you know, at uh, actions of people in the past. And so we have to say, yeah, I acknowledge that, but I still want to aspirationally pray that this would be a country with liberty and justice for all. Like, I don't want to abandon that. I don't want to abandon one nation under God, indivisible. I don't want to abandon, um, you know, the the reality that all people are created equal. We have not lived into that reality um, but it is it continues to be not only the truth, but our aspirational rea- life together. And so right. I, uh, I appreciate you you turning us in that direction as well. That's so helpful. Mm, it's important for us to celebrate, celebrate and be grateful. Um, but remembering we have to stay prayerful because we're not perfect. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I was reminded, you know, even just fireworks. Right. I mean, bombs bursting in air. Um, you know, we're. We use something that is a really, really scary reality in many places in the world, um, even in this very moment. And, you know, we use them as uh, as a way to to mark uh, a marriage or as a way to mark, a, a, you know, a holiday. And so I just think that even helping people remember that um, that fireworks are are evidence of um of war like that's but a war won and now we've turned it into something beautiful and that power of god to transform something that really was awful into something that really is awe uh inspiring yes. is is important as well like we ha- we worship a god of transformation and redemption mm, that's good you know and going back real quick to um so you're you're quoting star spangled banner and so, you know, that was written right outside Fort McHenry as the war was going on, and, and he was watching the fort and um, just watching for the flag to still be waving. And um, when he got up in the morning, the banner flag was flying. And I had the chance to go to Fort McHenry in 2013, and uh, a busload of us showed up on our Pray for America prayer tour. And they were so excited. The National Park people were so excited we were there because they kept saying, today we can raise the banner flag. Today we can raise the banner flag. And I was like, what is the difference? Um, I don't know what's the banner flag. And they said, it's huge. See, every day, um, just a few of us can raise the storm flag. And that's what was flying during the war, the storm flag. But it takes a bunch of people because it's so big and heavy to raise the banner flag. But since you're all here, we can do it together and we can raise the banner flag. That goes right back to the beginning of our conversation with Nehemiah 3. We need to be raising the banner of Jesus, but the only way we can do it is together. And and we need to keep that flag flying. We don't need to keep screaming and, and fretting about the storm flag and flying our storm flag, um, you know, that just one of us can raise in fear and isolation. We need to come together in prayer 
and encouraging one another in Scripture so that we're raising the banner of Jesus Christ. All right. Did you write that up somewhere? Because I'm going to need a blog on that. Okay. Not a problem. Get busy. Get get on that, girl. Get on that. All right. That's that's Kathy Branzell. It's always such an inspiration and delight to talk with you. Um, yeah, we need that Fort McHenry uh, story up somewhere that we can all access it. Um, if you I'll need a place it. to post it, I'll provide one. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll post it on my blog and we'll post it at myfaithradio.com. I just love it. That's so, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. That's Kathy Branzell with the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can follow her on Twitter at PrayCat. We'll be right back. All right, we got a whole other hour up next. Uh, we're going to read a portion of the Declaration of Independence at the start of the next hour. We're also going to talk with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, we're going to talk about death, and we're going to talk about the death of a particular individual, Carl Reiner. Um, and, and we're going to talk about humor, and we're going to talk about what makes us laugh. And then we're going to talk about the fact that death is really no laughing matter if you are not a person of faith. And so we're going to, we're going to delve into that. And then... Um, uh, Josh, Josh um, Chatreau will be here with me. Uh, he is an apologist, but man, he has written a really great book uh, on telling the story of Jesus Christ, telling the story of God's redemptive power and the gospel in a way that really leads us into the kinds of conversations that I advocate every single day. So the book is Tell a Better Story, and it is um, what I would describe as um, uh, as an entree into conversational apologetics. Um, I wrote a book on it as well, but, you know, mine's a few years old. So now we're going to talk uh, with Josh about his book. It is um, similar in terms of its approach and content, and I just really uh, appreciate his spirit in writing it. So all of that up next in the next hour of Mornings with Carmen. If you miss it, check out the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.